anybody I was speaking to in Taiwan are very, very proud of their democracy. Um, they're very, very proud of their country. They're very, very proud of their, uh, I, I guess, their independent stance from the Chinese mainland. Hello and welcome to Perspectives with Nilo, a regular podcast that brings you news and views from around the world. You can find all of our past episodes on our blog site at pwnilo.com or by searching for Perspectives with Nilo on your favorite podcast app. At the end of June, an Irish parliamentary delegation visited Taiwan on a five-day trip to exchange views on Taiwan-Ireland relations, economic resilience and the situation in the Taiwan Strait. They met with many of Taiwan's elected representatives across multiple government departments. Dr. Cahal Berry, who is an independent TD for the constituency of Kildare South, was among the delegation, and I sat down with him at his office in Port Arlington upon his return to talk about Ireland-Taiwan relations, reopening Ireland's trade office in Taipei, and China influence operations in Ireland. So, Deputy Barry, thank you uh, for taking time to do this interview, and you're very welcome to Perspectives with Nilo. Most welcome, and you're very welcome to Port Arrington, Neil. Great, great to have you here. Thank you very much. So, um, I know at the end of June you were uh, part of the Irish parliamentary delegation that visited Taiwan. Uh, can I ask you uh, how the trip went, and was it your first time in Taiwan? So the trip was fantastic uh, and fascinating, really, really interesting. It was my first uh, trip, yeah, absolutely. Huge amount of takeaways, I don't even know where to start, really. Um, but I guess uh, we, we, we take our democracy for granted here in Ireland. I suppose my big takeaway over there was that we shouldn't take it for granted. Um, a lot of people have fought very, very hard for it. And I heard a great phrase, uh, I was told that democracy is like oxygen. You never notice it when it's around. It's only when you're deprived of it do you recognise its true value. And I think that's a really important takeaway for me. Was there a primary reason for, for uh, taking part in the visit? Yeah, I suppose my own background is in defence, security, diplomacy, statecraft, geopolitics. So it was really interesting, uh, really interesting from my point of view to, to go there. I'm also a member of the Foreign Affairs and Defence Committee. So obviously we're always kind of tracking these global flashpoints. Um, our job really is to kind of delve down a little bit deeper in what's happening and keep both Parliament and, and the public in Ireland here are uh, informed in relation to what's happening. So I suppose defence, security, geopolitics, cyber security, uh, hybrid conflict, that sort of stuff, that's where I, that's why I would have jumped on board a trip and uh, I learned loads over there. It was very, very worthwhile. What were your main kind of impressions of it? I mean, it's an, Taiwan is an island, for people who might know, an island about half the size of Ireland, but they have a population of uh, 23 million um, over there on the edge of the Pacific. So what were your kind of major uh, impressions, just uh, b being there and observing for, for the few days? Yeah, either way, we always say, the Irish people say, oh, the, you know, another population's very, they're very Irish, they're very, very similar, but these guys are absolutely uh, almost a carbon copy. Yeah. Uh, so they speak, obviously, excellent English, uh, they're an island nation, they have the same concerns about a large neighbour, although we've probably moved on from ours, our, our, our largest neighbour, uh, which causes difficulties in the past, is, is probably more of a protector now, um, militarily than anything else, um, but they still feel the pressure uh, from China, and that, that, that pressure is building every day and they're very very concerned about that 
Uh, an article in the Taiwan News, which is uh, one of their English language newspapers over there in Taiwan, said that uh, some of the aims of the visit was to exchange views on Taiwan-Ireland relations, uh, talk about e- economic resilience and the situation in the Taiwan Strait. How would you describe uh, Taiwan-Ireland relations? Uh, I would say uh, untapped resource is probably the, the best way of describing it. Huge opportunity, but we haven't seized that opportunity at all. In fact, it was a very, very small Irish footprint. In fact, it's actually going backwards. Um, it's when, up to 2012, we had an Irish office uh, in Taipei. Uh, for Officially, for financial reasons, it was wound down. It hasn't been stood back up, so it hasn't been re-established. Uh, I think that's a, a major uh, major deficiency in, in Irish-Taiwan relations. We should certainly re-establish that office as soon as possible there's an EU kind of umbrella office there I think there's about 12 or 27 EU countries ballpark 15 15 is it fantastic thanks to correction and um, so uh, if the majority of the EU countries have no problem with it I don't see why why Ireland shouldn't have a, a footprint or a presence there and it's very un-Irish not to have a presence we're talking about increasing Ireland's global footprint and you could say oh it's a sensitive issue because the one China policy but if you look at Australia or if you look at Canada, or you look at America, Ireland has multiple offices in those countries. So yeah. if you look at Taiwan, you could look at Taiwan just as a province of China, and you could say, look, why, why don't we have more than one office in, inside in China? One based in Taipei, and one in, in Beijing, and, and off you go. So it it's, uh, it's just seems to be a, an, a completely uh, unrealized opportunity, and we should, we should seize it with both hands. There have been some uh, issues like the trade office and, and also like a, a, a taxation policy so that people maybe working there or working here aren't double taxed. Some initiatives like that, that uh, I guess supporters of Taiwan in Ireland have been pursuing for quite a while, but they still linger. They just never seem to come to a conclusion or, or never, never complete. Um, do you think those initiatives would help the Taiwan-Ireland relations and uh, what's your take on why they are not progressing? Why are we not, after almost over a decade, not able to reopen that trade office? Yeah, so first of all, they would help, for sure. Uh, And secondly, I think it's just a lack of information. Like, I wouldn't have known a whole lot about Taiwan uh, Mm. this time last month. Uh, now I do. I've been over there. I've got good contacts over there. And there's a great phrase uh, back where I grew up it's, uh, that uh, some things cannot be adequately explained, they can only be experienced. So when you go to a country and you get completely immersed in their culture and how to do business, you realize these guys are remarkably similar to ourselves and let's do business. They're very, very, they're, they're, even their business culture is, is almost a carbon copy of what we have here because there's a big American influence uh, over there. It's, it's like, like um, Taiwan really is the island of the Pacific. They have the exact same issues with data centers, uh, exact same issues with uh, big tech American companies, uh, same issues with offshore wind, although they're ahead of us from an offshore wind point of view, same issues with data cables. Um, so look, uh, I just think we have nothing uh, to gain from that, that uh, opening up a, a footprint there or a presence there other than something to gain. So what are we, what are we waiting for would be the question I'd have. So if it is a question of knowledge or awareness, how, how do you think we can increase that knowledge or awareness among those who make the decisions on those things like trade offices? Yeah, so look, uh, the delegation is very, very keen to have a meeting with the Taoiseach and the Taunish as a result, so we're requesting that through the appropriate channels at the moment, and that'll probably happen over the summer. I think we have a very compelling case. I mean, uh, some of the delegation have been over there multiple times, and they have... 
they really see for themselves the advantages of having uh, an Irish presence there. They'd be very, very convincing, persuasive people. So I think common sense will prevail. And it, it kind of chimes nicely with the Global Ireland Initiative at the moment. And as I was saying, if, if we have multiple offices in Australia, in Canada, in America, why can't we have multiple offices in, in the one China? Definitely, it seems like the countries that do have offices there uh, have benefited uh, or are benefiting from that relation. Uh, In an earlier episode, I called the the EU in Taiwan. Um, I spoke to some representatives from like the the Danish office. Uh, I asked him why you have an office in Taiwan. He told me it's because, you know, they're looking to partner with Taiwan on offshore wind power from an investment and a technology perspective. And recently we see announcements from from Germany uh, in that they're partnering with TSMC to open a new semiconductor fab in Europe in line with the EU Chips Act and, and multiple things like this. Do you think Ireland has lost out already from not having one over the past number of years? Yeah, absolutely. And let's remember, up to 2012, we did have an officer. So we've already accepted the yeah. principle of, of the importance of it. We just, and, and if you look at the official reason, the official reason were financial. Well, that can't be an excuse anymore. We have the opposite problem now. And we have too much money and we don't know where to spend it. And there's pressures from a public uh, spending perspective. Now, I don't mean that we have too much money. Obviously, we just have to uh, save it and spend it prudently. But if, if that was the reason for closing the office down, that reason is no longer valid. And uh, that should be the very reason now to reopen it again, that we do have the money, we can um, keep a, a presence out there. And if you're looking at an island half the size of Ireland with five times or four times the population, I mean, it's a great opportunity. Let's, let's go and get it. Uh, b- back to my uh, earlier reference to the article in, in the Taiwan News, it mentioned that part of your discussions was also related to the situation in the Taiwan Strait. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about those discussions and what you learned about the latest situation in the Taiwan Strait? Yeah, well, I think tense is probably the the best description of the situation in Taiwan Strait, even when we were flying in. So we flew in an Airbus uh, A350. was the first time I've ever been on an aircraft like that. Like a, a bit of a, an aircraft geek as well, sorry, but an unbelievable uh, machine. My first flight would have been about 30 years ago, and you can see how aircraft have progressed so much. It's, it's incredible. But we didn't fly over the Taiwan Strait. We flew down over Hong Kong, and then we turned left north up to... Uh, up to Taiwan, so even commercial air doesn't really travel over Taiwan Strait, to my knowledge anyway, um, it just shows how tense the situation is. So look, just for your listeners, obviously there's a gap about about 150 kilometres ballpark, depending, yeah. So it's a gap between mainland China and Taiwan, and there are a lot of naval assets and a lot of air assets in that space, and they, I guess there's a lot of provocations, a lot of pressure building, and a lot of... Uh, dummy attacks, a lot of dry runs taking place with a view to intimidate, uh, threaten and, and provoke. And it's pretty much all the provocations are coming in one direction, basically. Um, so it is a tense uh, situation. And my concern, I think most people's concern would be is if there was an accident or a miscalculation or if two vessels rammed each other, or if there was a collision midair and it started to spiral out of control. And um, I mean, there is no hotline. Most nations where those tense relations would have a military hotline to each other that you could actually de-escalate if there was a collision um, but there is no direct hotline between Taipei and Beijing from a military perspective and I think that's an area that could certainly work on. The extent of the activity in, in the Taiwan Strait is most of it is coming from China. I mean China like to blame the US but if you look at it on a daily basis uh, China are the ones sending the, their military aircraft into Taiwan's ADIS, this uh, aircraft defense identification zone. Um, you know, 
it's 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 very aggressive behavior like you mentioned um and there's very little uh, i think comment or pushback from other democracies or other nations around the world uh why do you think that is well, a lot of people have a lot of good trade relations with China and they're very, very dependent uh, on trading with China in both directions. This concept of feed the dragon, you know, so whether you're providing raw materials uh, that's processed in China, then you you accept their, their exports then afterwards. So people don't want to mess with that unique relationship they might have with China. And that's one of the main reasons. Secondly, there's a the, the one China understanding and it is, it is accepted internationally there is only one China. So it's not really too utterly independent states there is a, a kind of a, a nuance and a bit of sensitivity there so they're, so they're mindful of that as well so trading number one and secondly a bit of a complex situation and thirdly they just want a stable uh, situation they don't want it spiraling out of control but you did mention a great point there the democratic i think did you mention democratic alliance maybe you didn't actually but it's it's a, it's a concept that that i suppose we would have been exploring over the last couple of weeks out there that no true no two true democratic states have ever gone to war and uh, there are it's not really an east-west divide anymore it's more democratic autocratic divide and i think it's up to the democratic countries of the world to work together uh, to sort of democracies will spread for the obvious reasons and we talk about the four d's in geopolitics mm-hmm. if you want to try and prevent a conflict from breaking out democracy is number one diplomacy is number two deterrent is number three and then defence as a last resort is, is number four. And I think from a Taiwan Strait point of view, we're at the diplomacy deterrent uh, phase at the moment and hopefully it won't escalate from there. Back to your point, though, about feeding the dragon. I mean, ultimately, it, it must come down to um, a trade-off between you either keep feeding the dragon or you stand up for your values, our values, our democratic values. Don't you think that's uh, some, some, a factor that should weigh into this whole kind of situation? Yeah, absolutely. So principled pragmatism is the way to go, you know, whether that's a contradiction or not. For sure, have your own values, have your own principles. Mm. Um, and there is a, a movement, like even in the last few years, that any kind of a trading relationship we have with other countries, that there's a caveat that has conditionality associated with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's human rights uh, caveats. So if we were striking a trade deal at an EU level with another country, that there would be requirements that they would meet basic human rights standards. Is there a, a concern about how China is behaving politically, geopolitically, militarily? Absolutely. Um, there's two trains of thought. You can maintain your trade relationship with a, with a view to maintaining some influence uh, over the Chinese, or you can withdraw uh, fully or partially and withdraw or, or reduce that influence. So at the moment, Ireland's position is we have diplomatic relations with, with China, and that does not imply that we agree with everything they do sometimes the reason you have diplomats there is so you can express your concerns and so the the situation is that we have a good trade relationship with china at the moment they want it maintained but there comes a point no more than in russia uh, when they invaded ukraine that uh, you have to stand up for your principles as well when when they're there's there's red line issues for ireland i'm not really sure have they been clearly articulated as much as they should but everyone should have red lines and uh, ireland should be no different the, the other area where I think, um, you know, at least most of the news is saying where there's a lot of kind of um, attacks on Taiwan is in the cybersecurity area. Uh, we see how the CCP are targeting Taiwanese companies and infrastructure with thousands of cyber attacks per day, as well as disinformation campaigns, fake news, propaganda. Um, and of course, Beijing is taking full advantage of the fact that Taiwan and mainland China have, have a common language. Um, but 
I think the worry with this this ongoing disinformation and uh, cyber attacks is Taiwan has a presidential election. Because they're a democracy, they have a presidential election coming up at the end of the year. Um, did you uh, sense any concerns from the people you talked to in Taiwan about these, how these uh, cyber attacks and disinformation campaigns from the CCP may affect those elections? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it's a feature of democracies like autocratic states they, they know exactly where the Achilles heels are for democracies and it's under election processes. Uh, Ireland, like Taiwan, thankfully have a, a paper-based balloting system, so at least the integrity of the electoral processes is pretty much assured, where the issue is the influence operations in the meantime. So we would call it hybrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hybrid conflicts or hybrid warfare, whatever you want to call it, is, it's, it's defined as, uh, I suppose, that grey zone activity, which is above the level of normal diplomacy but below the level of traditional war fighting. So that's, it's that space where you can do whatever you, you can to your opponent or your adversary without triggering a, a conflict, but you try to undermine their democracy, undermine their economy, undermine their society in every way. And that's where the influence operations are coming in. And do you, th- well, do you think they're being successful or they're making gains? What was the feeling in Taiwan? The feeling is they're very, very active. Uh, and that they're attempting to uh, influence the outcome of the election. Um, but anybody I was speaking to in Taiwan are very, very proud of their democracy. Um, they're very, very proud of their country. They're very, very proud of their, uh, I, I guess, their independent stance from the Chinese mainland. So if I was to hazard a guess, I'm not sure how effective um, those hybrid campaigns are against Taiwan. Perhaps they're actually having the opposite effect from what, they're, what they were intended. But we can see how dangerous they are. I mean, it's, it's obvious now in hindsight also, but, but at the time, um, that there was a lot of influence uh, operations taking place from a Brexit perspective. And the, mm-hmm. that, true, the, that 2 or 3% was enough to tip the scales over in Brexit. And we saw the effect that it's had on the European Union and this, this island as well. Do you know if uh, Ireland will be sending anybody to Taiwan as an observer for, for the upcoming presidential elections? Great question. Unknown. I didn't ask it, actually. Uh, I wouldn't mind going myself, actually. But uh, th- we, we did send a delegation about four years ago, I think, just pre-COVID. Maybe about three years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, that'd be a very good idea. Yeah. Very good idea. I think we should do more than just that. That would be an initial step. But I think that the, initially the, the presence, the trade presence in the EU office, I mean... If if the EU are there and Ireland aren't there, that'd be a very unusual position for Ireland uh, to be in. So I think we should not just send electoral monitors; we should at least uh, send a trade office as well and establish it permanently. Uh, the Irish government is generally very good at, at speaking up in support of uh, of our democratic values and against you know speaking up for human rights. Uh, they regularly speak up in support of Ukraine, for example, of Palestine and other peoples that are being attacked or oppressed around the world. But I have to say, we hear very little from them on, on Taiwan. Uh, you, as we kind of talked about earlier, you would think uh, there would be a lot of affinity between Ireland and Taiwan, given our similar uh, situations. You know, we're both island democracies. In the past, Ireland had to fight for our independence from a very powerful neighbour. Uh, why isn't Ireland more supportive of Taiwan, uh, you know, in your view? Well, there's very little information coming from Taiwan because we don't have a presence there. It's kind of like a chicken and egg. If we did have a presence there, uh, an official presence there, a lot of information would be going back to the Department of Foreign Affairs. But at the moment, it's all secondhand. And the nature of the hybrid activity that's been taking place against Taiwan is it is non-attributable. Yeah. But I mean, I guess the qu- it begs the question, why doesn't Ireland want to know? You know, I mean, uh, you know, it's the, we live in the information age. 
with the internet and so on. Um, I mean, I think Ireland takes a lot of steps to place uh, officials in different countries, uh, you know, to be proactive in finding out about these things. We have, we've had seats, we have seats at the United Nations and so on. Uh, you know, why not in Taiwan's case? It's not a priority. It's not seen as a priority. It should be. Um, does not, but we also are like we're a major trading partner for to, to China as well, and I presume that's a major factor as well. They don't want to be seen to be annoying the Chinese. Uh, there might be some trade consequences, uh, but it goes back to your original point: principle, pragmatism. Or at what stage do we um, uh, allow our values to take uh, a more prominent role rather than just our pockets? And and there has been. Uh, precedent, an example set by other smaller EU states like uh, Lithuania, a smaller country than Ireland, they have stood up for Taiwan. Um, you will, and the EU in general are, are pretty supportive of Taiwan. We hear Joseph Borrell uh, saying we should intensify trade and continue our building connections with Taiwan. I mean, he's the, it's under his department that the EU trade office in Taiwan uh, you know, exists. Uh, but Ireland doesn't seem to listen to the EU or follow the EU uh, guidelines or example on Taiwan either. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, it's, a, it's a matter we'll be taking up with the teaching in Tanishta, but uh, international relations and foreign relations are a, a national competence. So it's entirely Ireland's prerogative how we choose to engage with both China and, and Taiwan. I'd be much more, uh, having been out there now, uh, much more interested in that Ireland adopting a more proactive um, uh, stance in relation to Taiwan. What would you say to people, uh, you know, to share kind of the other side of the story? You know, what happens in Taiwan and the Taiwan Strait is none of our business. We should just mind our own business. What would you say to that? Yeah, well, it's, it's in Ireland's interest that small island democracies not only uh, survive but, but thrive. I mean, the more democratic countries out there on this planet, the better off Ireland's going to be. Um, as we said earlier, no truly democratic two countries have ever gone to war, you know. So it's in Ireland's interest that democracy spreads and at least doesn't recede. I mean, there is a, an authoritarian expansionism taking place at the moment. Just look at what's happening in Russia and, and, and Ukraine. And it's in Ireland's interest to make sure that international peace and stability is maintained. Uh, how well do you think uh, Irish people understand and are aware of China and China's behaviour in the region and against Taiwan? I said it's a very poor understanding. Um, the main reason is we have a fairly good idea of what's happening in America and Canada and Australia, all the Anglo-Saxon countries where a lot of Irish immigrants have gone. There are a good business links with China, but there's not a massive proportion of the Irish population would have visited China or visited Taiwan at all. So just the level of understanding at a people-to-people level uh, isn't really there, and hopefully that can be developed over the next number of years. The language difference, of course, is also one of those things. But uh, I, we're teaching uh, Mandarin Chinese now in secondary schools, right? So, so that should help. Those kind of things should help uh, moving forward, probably. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, my twin brother is living in Singapore, actually, you know, so I try and get out there as often as I can. Um, so the language difference, obviously, is a big, like they would say, language is the biggest uh, barrier for sure. Um, but I think the first natural step is get a presence in Taipei. Uh, and build up this presence over time and improve the understanding and improve two-way communication. So as you mentioned earlier, you know, Ireland has a lot of trade with China. We, we probably value our trade with China, given the size of it. Uh, do you think the Chinese government has undue influence in Ireland as a result of that? 
They have influence in Ireland and we have influence in Beijing basically as a result. Uh, whenever it comes to a trading relationship, there's mutual influence on both sides. Um, I would say the Chinese influence is probably larger on Ireland than the Irish influence in, in China, however, um, just because of the disparity in, in size of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a factor for sure. But again, you have your red lines, you should have your values, you should have your principles as well. And um, there's plenty of other markets out there as well if you want to uh, choose to... Uh, like remember we were saying about Taiwan it's an untapped resource There's uh, so just across the Taiwan Strait there's another big market there if you wish to uh, I suppose venture into it uh, Just staying with that uh, Chinese influence in Ireland uh, point just for a minute there was a story in yesterday's Sunday Times uh, on how Ireland's political class are being targeted by the worst of the Chinese regime it was outlining the case of a visit last month to Ireland by uh, Liu Jianchao. He's the head of the International Department of the Chinese Communist Party and director of the Central Commission for Discipline Inspection, International Cooperation Bureau. Yeah, qu- quite a large title. But according to several human rights organizations, he had direct command and responsibility for thousands of international fugitive recovery operations. He's been criticized and his department has been criticised by Safeguard Defenders, the human rights organisation, uh, for their, their tactics and their operations. Um, yet in Ireland, you know, we grant uh, Liu Jianchao a visitor visa and we grant him access to meet and chat with our senior politicians. What do you make of all of that? I didn't hear about the visit actually so if they're they're trying to influence operations on me it mustn't be working you know Um, but look just a general sense unless as people are aware that there's there's an issue with the um, with the Chinese embassy and Chinese authorities there was a a controversy a few months back in relation to a Chinese police station as you're probably aware in Dublin as well so there is an understanding there um, for sure that things may not be as 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 I suppose as upfront as they should be Um, I'm not sure what level of access that gentleman got Um, I think he got to meet the leader of the Shannon and a number of other people. There were some uh, pictures on Twitter and uh, in, in some of the newspapers. Yeah, I suppose it goes back to my original point about diplomacy. Just because you meet somebody doesn't mean you agree with them. Um, in fact, a lot of people I meet I don't agree with at all. And the very reason for the meeting is I'd like to express my concerns. So I'm not sure what was discussed. But uh, yeah. What about legitimising them, though, by, by actually inviting them and granting them uh, you know, freedom to visit? Yeah. Is he a legitimate... Um, uh, I guess, what's the word, representation of the Chinese government? Yeah, I I suppose it goes back to the original point that if he is, you know, part of the particular administration in Beijing, then it wouldn't be unusual to have that interaction. But I do do hear your concerns and I would hope that the concerns of Ireland was actually expressed at that meeting. I hope so. I I didn't get the readout around that, but hopefully that would be the case. Do you think there's, um, again, going going back to Taiwan, uh, do you think there's a similarity between the Ukraine situation and uh, the situation Taiwan finds themselves in? Yeah, some similarities, some some differences, of course. Uh, I, I don't think, well, Ukraine was regarded as a sovereign country, was recognised internationally as a sovereign country um, since 1994. Uh, Taiwan doesn't have that recognition yet, at least. Um, so you could argue there's a small bit of complication there, or a small bit of difference, but there's a lot in common as well. I mean, large neighbour, uh, yeah. pressurising a smaller uh, neighbour, and that's going on as well. Uh, I think what's happening in Ukraine... I think Xi Jinping is looking at it very, very carefully and to see that it's not as easy as it was made out to be. Uh, Russia couldn't even do something as drive tanks over their border, whereas uh, a Chinese 
invasion of Taiwan would be a far more complex operation. It would be probably need to be larger in scale than that of Normandy in, in 1944. So that's the level of complexity, level of complication, level of risk uh, associated would be far superior. Also, I think what, what took Putin by surprise was the level of not only solidarity from the international community, but a lot of financial and logistical and resource and material uh, support that Ukraine was getting um, and is continuing to get. And I think he would be concerned that that same type of support would be forthcoming for Taiwan, at least the same level of, of support, perhaps even more kinetic from the Americans rather than just financial and logistical as well. So I think he's looking back at this going, well, it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Um, we have to be very, very concerned. We can see Putin's entire regime and his grip on power is, is at risk. And one thing that the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, are always concerned about is um, losing power in, in Beijing. So uh, I think he'd be thinking twice. Uh, I don't detect anything imminent happening anytime soon, other than the usual intimidation uh, and, uh, and hybrid operations. Uh, in, in one of my recent podcasts, um, I had the pleasure of speaking with uh, Taipei City Councillor Miao Poya. She's responsible for a district with an electorate of 400,000 people in Taipei. Uh, one of the things she said during the interview, which I, I thought was very poignant, was she said, Taiwan is like a candle in a very dark room. We're not looking for our allies to sacrifice themselves for us. We're just looking for our allies to shield the wind for us. Uh, so my, my final question to you, as member of the Committee on Foreign Affairs and Defence, is do you think Ireland, as a democratic nation, will do its part to shield the wind for Taiwan before it's too late? Yeah, we'll certainly play our part. I mean, another thing that would be reasonable is the WHO, it's so the World Health Organization, uh, Taiwan is trying to become an, an observer member. I mean, it's, it's the lowest level of membership yeah, whatsoever. Time, yeah. And Ireland should support that, both in private uh, and in public. You might remember during the pandemic, Taiwan was fantastic in relation to giving Ireland PPE. Um, their pandemic response was exceptional. They're very, very advanced from a medical perspective. They have no waiting lists over there, no, no trolley watch or anything like that. So I mean, they have a huge amount to offer the WHO. Another classic example of Ireland should be advocating for that. The more organizations internationally that uh, Taiwan are plugged into, the better. But in this country, I, I presume everybody in the Dáil uh, supports the right to, to self-determination for Ireland. And if they support it in Ireland, I assume they support it in other places too. Yeah, correct. Uh, again, but it's complicated in that it's if you take that view about self-determination, you're looking at both mainland China and Taiwan. Where does self-determination start there when we're talking about two parts of the same country? And even Taiwan won't accept that there is a one China uh, arrangement. Um, so, so, that's, so it's a little bit more complicated. We're not looking at, at a separate sovereign state. Um, we're looking at a, a province who just wishes to be left alone, basically. So uh, I'd agree with you from a self-determination point of view, but the, the ambiguity in relation to Taiwan is, is still lingering, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we could discuss the history. I mean, the Chinese Communist Party, which was founded in 1921 or whatever, has never controlled or occupied Taiwan. Um, so, you know, I guess it's how far back do you go to uh, kind of validate their claim? I mean, you could look at any, you could look at any country in the world uh, that has been occupied previously. And, you know, how far back do you go to validate a previous, you know, uh, a previous occupation? Is it still valid or not? I mean, you know, it's a difficult question. It's a, it's a great question. Look, I suppose Ireland's position uh, should be, or I think, 
is is that there should be no change to the status quo by using force as the first thing. So if you look at the situation in the six counties in our own island, um, does Ireland have the right to invade the six counties? Oh, of course not. It can only be done with consent. So Ireland's position should be and probably is, because uh, I'm not a spokesperson for the government, you have to get on to the Foreign Affairs Department about that, would be that look, the status quo should remain unless uh, the consent of both parties uh, decides to change it. And uh, So peaceful coexistence should be Ireland's position uh, and I don't detect any imminent change to that. But again, my concern would be if there's an accident or if there's miscalculation and things spiral out of control thereafter. All right. Well, Deputy Calberry, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us on Perspectives with Neil. Pleasure, Neil. No problem at all. Dr. Cahal Berry is an independent TD for the constituency of Kildare South. And my sincere thanks to Deputy Berry for sharing his views and insights with us on Perspectives with Nilo. You can find out more about the topics discussed in the interview on our blog site at pwnilo.com, where we have also linked a discussion paper on the many variants of the One China policy and the difference between them and the One China principle. We will no doubt return to many of the topics covered here in the future, so if you don't want to miss out, be sure to follow Perspectives with Nilo on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app, as well as on Instagram and Twitter. And that's where we leave it for the moment. Until the next time, thank you for listening. Slánach Spanach.